So welcome back to the Poor Pearls Almanac. We are here to um, not talk about weenies, as much fun as it is, but to talk about things that are on a long enough timeline going to kill you. That's not... Do we have to? I think we do. That is the note I have written down from Dom. Today is the day we talk about stuff that kills you on a long enough timeline. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, what Dom says goes, so... Oh, well. Well, what what is going to kill us? I don't know. We will find out. What is going to kill us? I mean, it's a really deep question to think about. Like, what is going to kill you personally versus what is going to kill us as a species? Yeah. Like... Yeah, which kind of you are we talking about? Like the you plural or like... The formal you? Like, are we talking about our government? Yeah. Because I've got thoughts. Yeah. We're going to have to hit stop on the recording, oh but i got God. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so today we are not talking about those variations of murder. Uh, we're talking about a very specific type of murder. Uh, we're talking about the Varroa Destructor. So for those of you that have been tuning in the last month or two... We've been talking mostly about bees, bees, all bees, all the time. And uh, we're talking about the Varroa Destructor, which is uh, a tiny mite that is basically like a tick for bees. Well, let's let's get into it. Yeah, we've spent a ton of time talking about bees, but I guess we can have one more conversation. Why not? Why not? What's we've, a few mites between friends? We've gone this far. How many episodes deep are we into bees? I think like seven, yeah. eight, something like that. Well, no turning back. No turning back. Everyone knows you can't turn back when you're a bee. They can't fly backwards. So yeah, no one ever called are. you long-winded. No, never. Elliot's buzzing with excitement. Or is it the drugs? Probably both. We spent a lot of time talking about bees. We talked about bee biology, wild pollinators. But we haven't, to this point, really talked about the thing that uh, most beekeepers fear the most, which is, like I said, mites or the Varroa Destructor. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a great band name, right? Sounds like they got a pretty heavy first album. Pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the first album's called 40% of Bees Don't Survive the Winter. It's long, but I think it gets the point across. Yeah, it sounds like a after the after the burial song title, but go ahead and tell us about these super ticks for bees. Yeah, so it's actually a, a pretty interesting story. I mean, you really do say that about everything we talk about on here. I mean, that's why we're talking about it, because it's interesting. And obviously our audiences agree. I don't know. I've I've listened to a lot of these episodes, and uh, I think interesting is a pretty relative word. Anyways, the Varroa mite, despite the fact that like any beekeeper today uh, is familiar with Varroa, didn't actually exist in the U.S. until 1987. Which is also, coincidentally, the year Andy was born. And I'm pretty sure that makes him a harbinger of doom. Uh, just like I've been saying this whole time, but no one will seem to listen. Yeah, coincidentally or not. Yeah, so the the I will not be taking questions on that at the moment. Oh the my God. Uh, the <laughs> you can when we were when he turn off the recording so we can talk about the other death, the big death. We'll talk about that one too. All right, on poor pearls after dark. <laughs> the poor pearls after dark. It's just it's a little sad. too dark. <laughs> yeah. So the varroa mite uh, was first discovered by uh, a person named A. C. Oudmans in 1904 as a parasite of the Asian honeybee Apis serrana. In the late 1940s, through movement of the Western honeybee of colonies into and out of Asia, the varroa mite became established on honeybees first in Africa and then in Europe. From there, it quickly spread around the world. When it was detected in the U.S. in 1987, Mexico and Canada quickly closed their borders to U.S. bees. The original build-a-wall. All right. So do you think 
you could like make money like selling or distributing ladders to the other side when people build these walls are like is there like ladder stocks and bonds is that a thing because I, I want to make money kind of like an arms dealer because it seems like the current president has like a soft spot for him i guess i feel like that might be where the game shoots and ladders came from maybe that's like what that was all about is how do you get around the wall an arms and ladder dealer you think that's how somebody smuggled the map in it was actually a map it was actually just the shoots and ladders game. No, it was a map of places to get over the wall and whether it's a shoot or a ladder. But somebody, you know, maybe they're going through a checkpoint and somebody found it and they're like, what is this? Like, is that a map? And they're like, no, it's this board game. Bro, shoot- it's totally a game. <laughs> called shoots and ladders, yeah. And it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> you, you take these rocks and they go up the ladder. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't look for markers. I'm going to say it's true. Well, as insane as all that babble was... Uh, just imagine trying to close your borders to like bugs that can fly with like wings and the wind and stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting concept, right? It's also uh, now known that at least five species of varroa mites can be found in the tropics as well. And Dr. Dennis Anderson, an Australian researcher, named the specific mite that is damaging worldwide as varroa destructor, which was Korean in origin. Okay, so you haven't mentioned Australia yet. So are they safe from the... From Roa Destructor? First off, if we know anything about Australia, anything that is like highly dangerous is going to go there. For Varroa, that was in 2022 that they got there. Yeah, you know, they just wanted to link up with their criminal brethren and down under. <laughs> That's brutal, just like these mites to the bees, dude. Yeah, so upon their arrival to the US and quick destruction of hives across the country, insecticides called pyrethroids that also kill mice have been the primary solution basically across the globe. Obviously, this has some negative consequences for, you know, everything else where the bees live, right? The basic idea here is to poison the bees, but to poison the varroa mites more than the bees. So this sounds like chemotherapy, but for bees, basically. Bemotherapy, yes, exactly. This worked for a few years, but then quickly the mites became resistant and we switched to thymol as an alternative. Again, this worked for a few years, and then guess what? Did it stop working? What did he win, Johnny? <laughs> the latest new solution, organic acids. Go to any beekeeper classes, like many people listening probably have, and they'll tell you about a spectrum of different tools for mites, not to rely on only one type of solution. And basically, you're going to fall into a chemical like a formic acid or oxalic acid. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, Elliot, but uh, how do you think this ends? You're asking me, I'm going to say, not with a bang, but a slightly buzzing whimper. He's being T.S. Eliot again. Ah, uh, T.S. Eliot. He's back. Was it? Ah, oh, shit. I used to know that like half of his big poem by heart, and I can't even remember the name. Was it April is the cruelest month? April is the cruelest month. <laughs> if you've ever heard him talk, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> I didn't know T.S. Eliot sounded like Bob Dylan. Yeah, he talks real weird. Or talked real weird i think that was your first impression was it really i think so look at me look at me go you don't want to hear me do impressions i'm terrible at them if that wasn't obvious i know that's that's why it was that that one was pretty bad it's got to be one on each episode oh, now. maybe, maybe okay. it was only bad because i never heard him speak i'm gonna have to look it up now uh hold on i'll pull that up for you real quick because we just can't move on without him reading april is the cruelest month breeding lilacs out of the dead land Mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. 
Oh, I did get the right quote, so there's that going for me. I stand by my statement before I heard it that your impression was pretty terrible. It was a little dra- dramatized. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. He's got kind of that, like, old transatlantic. Yeah. Back the old metropolitan accent. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so we were talking about Varroa Destructor. Oh Speaking my God, of we transatlantic. Were talking about Varroa Destructor. Terrible, terrible thing for, for honeybees, right? Partly because they didn't evolve with it. They had no healthy relationship, at least the European ones. And basically, it was a parasite that was killing it. But, like, the goal of a parasite is to not kill its host, right? Yeah, I'm like a gall darn capitalist. I think there's a podcast or two about that. Yeah, so here's the thing. The Asian honeybee colonies are fine with varroa mite infestation. European honeybees, the ones we rely on to pollinate basically fucking everything, have not evolved with any mites at all. Most bee colonies have a parasitic mite that's evolved with them, with the exception, of course, goddamn European honeybees. So needless to say, they're least equipped to deal with mites, right? Okay, so when you say mites, I'm like, but you said ticks earlier, like, do... What is it? Yeah, like, yeah, what is it? Do they ride around and, like, suck on the, the bees, or, like, how does it work? Are they, like, bee vampires? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of bloodsuckers, but I know bees don't have blood, so I'm trying to figure it out. So varroa mites are tiny red-brown parasites of honeybees, right? Although varroa mites can feed and live on adult honeybees, they actually mainly feed and reproduce on the larvae and pupa in the developing brood. And this causes malformation and weakening of honeybees, which obviously slowly comes in waves throughout the hive as more and more uh, larvae are exposed to them. And this not only weakens the bees themselves, but helps transmit numerous viruses. Okay, so they're sitting there in these ticks. Well, not really ticks. They're just parasites. But they're feeding on the babies. Yeah. And what this does is basically, well, what happens basically is that you have a colony with initially like low infestation, right? Like anything. And at that point, they don't show very many symptoms. However, as the mite population increases, symptoms become more apparent. Again, think about it. They're feeding before the bees leave the hive. So how are you going to notice even feeding before they're like working within the hive? So by the time you see it, they've been there for a little while, right? And this can build up really quickly and cause things like scattered brood, crippled and crawling honeybees, impaired flight performance lower rates of return to the colony after going out and foraging, reduced lifespan, and a significant reduced weight for the hive of worker bees. Colony symptoms commonly called parasitic mite syndrome include an abnormal brood pattern, sunken and chewed cappings, and larvae slumped in the bottom or side of the cell. This ultimately causes a reduction in the honeybee population, as to be expected. Supersedure of the queen bees, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and eventually colony breakdown and death. It's basically assumed in traditional beekeeping today that it's not really an if, but a when. Okay, yeah, so that is way worse than ticks, and they even have like a more brutal version of untreated Lyme's disease, but this is all for bees. Can't like ticks eventually like take down a whole moose? Yeah. So, Elliot, actually, speaking of moose, <laughs> yeah. I moustache you a question. Automatically, I'll answer no just because of that. What's your favorite ad we run? I mean, it would be Lowry's, but someone won't sponsor us. You know, I don't know why you're looking at me like that. Like, I don't work for Lowry's. But your favorite commercial is going to come on right now. 
Howdy there, fellow preppers. I'm Billy Dane, here to tell you about the latest in apocalypse preparedness, truly an all-in-one solution, Bullets and Beans by Bunker Corp. Our scientists here at Bunker Corp have developed a proprietary blend of pinto bean and 45 caliber ACP rounds canned together in a savory, non-corrosive sauce for your consumption and reliable combustion. When shit hits the fan, then ho ho ho, you know it will. You're down your dark bunker, long after your fuel sources run out and your batteries have died, bullets and beans will be there to provide you with a hearty meal. Best eating cold, simply open the can, carefully scoop out a mouthful, and spit out the premium center fire rounds. Within a few bites, you've got a full magazine and a full stomach. So remember folks, it's bullets and beans for your all-in-one solution to nutrition and self-defense. Make sure it's part of your last days on Earth and don't forget to leave one round in the bottom of the can. (laughs) Okay, so we've covered some of the basics around Varroa and its history. Now, it's particularly interesting is how Varroa has played out across the globe. Like I said, it was a novel parasite across basically every continent, which meant we got to see in real time how different management methods impacted its mortality rate. Seeing as you hinted that here in the U.S. it's not an, like an if, but a when for your colony to die because of Varroa, I'd assume our chemical treatments aren't working nearly as well as we'd hoped. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty accurate. And it's not just that. Unsurprisingly, given the honeybee's prominence for pollinating most of our food, there has been a lot of research gone into understanding Varroa. One of the main reasons why Varroa has been so hard to stop is specifically due to how we're treating a majority of our honeybees here in the U.S., specifically around our crops. The practice of like migratory beekeeping in which beehives are shipped basically across the country to meet pollination demand, say like almond farming, this increases the dispersal of all honeybee pests and parasites, including our good friend Varroa. All right, so I could see how that accelerated it to travel across the country, but it's already everywhere. So what do we what do we what do we do with that? You're right. It is everywhere. But like a lot of things, we can see how genetic mite varieties are sharing their genetic code. And that's basically like COVID accelerating their ability to evolve and share stronger genetics. You know, in case some Varroa survive a chemical treatment, suddenly those genetics can be like sure to quickly spread across the country. You love to see it. If you're a parasite. Yeah. Landlords love to see it. Touche. So yeah, it's it's not enough that we're we're breeding them poorly and then just chemically treating them, which isn't really working in the long term, but we're also accelerating how quickly that's not working by making sure the genetics are traveling as quickly as possible. Yeah, so nothing can go wrong from this. Yeah, no, I I don't know why you would think this is a problem at all. So people have started to recognize that these chemicals are not a long-term fix, right? At least not longer than maybe like our lifetime. And given the state of things, yeah, we'll just say our lifetime. There's a few methods that have been getting attention, some of which show a little bit more promise than others. The first I want to talk about, and this gets a lot of attention in the, um, the natural and I use the word natural very specifically here, beekeeping movement, not the non-chemical, but like the hippy-dippy natural movement, is using plant extracts. All right. So I said it in an earlier episode about do you smoke your smoke your bees up? And so now you're giving the buzzy boys a dab? 
So it's not that kind of extract. A few different plant extracts have been utilized uh, and tested, and even not just the extracts, but you'll hear things like putting certain, you know, mint in your hive will reduce pest input and things like that. Of the plants that they uh, tested with extracts that there's a lot of data on, there's one that was pretty common that I think people would have access to, and that's garlic. So I want to talk about that. It was the only one that showed to be both 100% effective in lab tests while also showing no health impacts on live honeybees. So they only tested the Italian honeybees, didn't they? I mean, coincidentally, coincidentally, they only tested the garlic on the Italian honeybee. But I don't... All right, don't lie to me. This is all about restoring Italian dominance in the bee community, isn't it? What did the Iberians do to you? It's not... You you never talk about, like, we never talk about, like, the black bees and the studies that they do. All the experiments. Of course. Okay, fine. I'm an Italian supremacist. Is that what you want me to say? I mean, I already knew that. We got it for the recordings. Can we keep doing the thing? Now that you've come clean, we can. Okay, so while the garlic extract worked, it was in an enclosed chamber. So we don't really know the ability of it to effectively work in a real-world setting. That doesn't mean it can't, just take it with a grain of salt or grain of garlic. Second, uh, exposure for honeybees was only done with adults, so we don't know the impacts on the most vulnerable bees, the larva pupa, or its impact on comb. And while this is a cool option, especially as an Italian, it's ultimately interference on the natural evolution of the mite with the honeybee, right? And that's not kind of our thing. So do we have any like real documentation of bees that living with mites and it not being a big deal at this point? So we actually have quite a bit, despite what your local beekeeper association might say. Shots fired. There's been a couple different projects that have taken place, and we've interviewed a few folks who talk about this specific practice of basically pushing honeybee colonies through an intense selection pressure to breed resistant bees. The first example I want to talk about is our friends just a few miles south of us here in Cuba. Now, if you're not familiar with Cuba's beekeeping, which... I'm assuming most people aren't. But weenies are listeners are not being familiar with um, weenies. Cuba's beekeeping. Right. So Cuba is considered to have the world's largest population of varroa-resistant European honeybees. Okay, so Cuba. They got old cars. They got like a lung cancer vaccine and and chemical-free honey. Is there anything they can't overcome? Guantanamo, Elliot, probably. (laughs) I mean, that is that is fair. Yeah, that one, that one hurts. Ooh, that was like one of those is, deep Is that a down, burn on like, Cuba? Cry laugh. No, oh, I mean, yeah. it's a burn on the human race. So let's talk about Cuba, though. Like, So what's happened in Cuba, though, for real, is um, really inspiring for a number of reasons. It wasn't simply that the bees developed mite resistance, but they learned to live alongside the varroa. Not only did they have incredibly high rates of things like recapping worker cells after cleaning, keeping the hives highly populated, but they had high rates of actual removal of mites and, most interesting, low mite fertility. After like three decades, they co-evolved to be most sustainable. Yeah, basically, we've seen in our lifetime, or at least the people in Cuba have seen, a natural co-evolution, which is ideal for both species, right? The most interesting thing, though, is that their traits and rates of recapping and so on reflect what is seen in places where Varroa came from. Yeah, so that's nature doing its wild-ass balancing act. That's some crazy shit. Science. 
I don't understand how any of that works, but... Imagine that self-directed organization before being ruined by market globalization. Yeah, basically. If only we could, you know, take that idea and apply it on different scales for human scales. Now, what's particularly interesting is that these hives haven't dropped in their productivity, as you might expect, given the added workload of cleaning to remove mites. 220,000 colonies across Cuba still produce, on average, 100 pounds of honey a year, which even by uh, American standards is incredibly high. Yeah, so just let nature do its course sort of thing. Yeah, possibly. All right, so I'm not going to set you up for a yes and no answer. Oh, okay, no. Just no this time. Sure. No, really. So, so we have some studies on this specific tactic, but we have some alternative practices that we'll talk about further, both in this episode and I think we talked a little bit about it last episode as well. I won't go too deep because I'm going to save that content for a little later. But in Sweden, they did leave some bees to fend for themselves. And the thinning process, that genetic bottleneck, was pretty extreme. Keep in mind, we're talking about a warm weather bee in Sweden. So the odds were not, as the kids say, in their favor. Won't kids say that? Uh, the hungry kids from The Hunger Games? Yeah, they, it was not in their favor. Anyways, so the point is, though, with, with the Swedish bees, the Swedes, as we might call them, uh, less than half survived, significantly less than half. But they bounced back pretty quickly and were able to maintain their hives after about five years without any more significant losses. So the point is, we can do it. But the real question is, are we willing to? And we'll discuss what that means after this commercial. Hey there. It's Andy from the Porporals Almanac. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. As you can probably tell, this content involves extensive research and editing to release weekly episodes. If you think this content is valuable for the future that we inherit, please consider financially supporting this project by visiting porporals.com and clicking on the Patreon, Venmo, Ko-Fi, or PayPal tabs. Every dollar helps offset our costs for hosting the podcast content and helps offset hundreds of hours of work put towards this project monthly. Thank you for supporting us by sharing, liking, and donating to this project. Together, we can build a better future. There are currently, as of this recording, 2.7 million beehives in the U.S., responsible for pollinating a third of our food crops. Of the 100 crop varieties that provide 90% of the world's food, 71 are pollinated by bees. 151 million pounds of honey are produced and sold a year. Imagine losing 75% of that for one, two, three, even four years. That does not sound ideal. Yeah, it, it does not. Regardless of people's opinions on whether or not the honeybee should exist, I think at this point in time we understand we can't just simply pull the plug on honeybees, even if it's a temporary solution. We've talked a bit about this in the past and how one of the impacts of honeybees is spreading disease and parasites, and theoretically this would make them, in the long term at least, reduce some of this, right? So even if you're against honeybees in our food production, a mite-resistant honeybee is still better in the long run for everyone involved. Okay, so does it have to be an all-or-nothing approach, or is it possible to consider some ways to do like controlled damage to the mites? And hearing myself say that out loud, I... I sound like I work at the CIA. Targeted strikes. Yes, you definitely do not. Why do you think we get all that Raytheon money, Elliot? Come on, we're not doing a good job of hiding it. Still haven't got those fucking missiles. I need them. 
I mean, even if you got them, you couldn't like publicly announce that. So yes, no, you I have wouldn't not say when them. I got them, but I just haven't gotten them yet, so I can say it. <laughs> oh, okay. You wouldn't know when I get missiles from Raytheon, but that'll be signs. You would feel it, not till it's too late. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there would be signs. Okay. Anyways, so uh, fortunately, uh, there are some ways we can do controlled damage. We talked a little bit about one solution last week with the drones episode, right? Where we could pull out some of the comb as uh, the drones are being laid. And that's uh, something that has a lot of potential for reducing the pressure of mites so that bees can evolve to uh, selectively breed the hives that can handle a little bit of mite pressure. There has been work studying the impacts of naturally slowing down the varroa in the hive as well as, you know, in that process, helping the hives learn to recognize it and building up some kind of tolerance to the Varroa. This storyline is just like a natural follow-up to the Bee movie. Uh, yeah, obviously. I mean, we watched that right before we started recording. Yeah. Right, guys? Right. For 10 hours first. Oh, that Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yes. Jerry, he speaks to the people. He's a man of the people. And I have always said that. I've always said Jerry Seinfeld was a man of the people. Yes, yes. I was going to do a Jerry Seinfeld impression, and to then it. I decided. No, no, you gotta. I can't. We know. That's why you gotta do <laughs> What's it. What's the deal with the Varroa mite? <laughs> what is it with the honey? I don't know. I can't do it now, because you, you got me thinking about it. I'm overthinking it. Yep, gotta keep it simple. To wrap up our, our B-movie analysis, right? In one study that they, they, you actually see them refer to this moment in the B-movie, right? There's this subtle alliteration where we see the hive being manipulated by the beekeeper. And it's actually a symbol of the phallic change in the honeybee by removing the drones, right? This moment, this beautiful moment where they're suggesting that there's a future for honeybees as long as we reduce that drone count. I'm I'm making all of this up in okay, case you can okay, yeah. Matt looked real scared for a little well, while. Okay, hands in the air. I've never I've never watched the B movie through, so I was like, is is he serious? I've never I, watched the B movie ever okay. before in my B movie life. B movie. First off, B movie does have BDE. So maybe we should shut the fuck up about the B movie. I, I've watched it. <laughs> what? It's, it, yeah, it's got it's seriously it's got big dick energy though. Wow. You you haven't seen the memes? No, never seen. Oh my god. No, seriously though. Now we have to watch the B movie. Like I want to see your how faces. How is that the, how you that's the one movie that you've seen nobody's <laughs> yeah. ever seen? <laughs> why why is this a surprise? Jerry Max on like a human as a bee and is successful. So like there there's some stuff to unpack here. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, like I said, big dick energy. There's there's some stuff here BD, we need to talk BDE, about. BDE, got it. BDE. B-D-B-E-D-E. Get it? B-D-E? Yeah. Yeah, Dom, cut all this out. Don't cut any of this out. Trash, dude. Oh, my God. Dom, this is is an awful episode to edit. Apologize. No, there's no editing. It's perfect. Why would we edit any of this? It's perfect. So, in a study that was referred to in the B-movie that uh, the study finished in 2021... Don't don't worry about that the B movie came out in 2014. It doesn't matter. Colonies with low infestation. I don't know if it came out in 2024, 2014. So We're not looking whatever. it up. We've gone too far. We're not looking it up. I'm in too deep right now. Colonies with uh 07. low 07 same thing. Like I I'm, I'm a decade older than everything that I think everything is a decade 
newer or older than what I think. Yeah, you're officially an old man, dude. I'm literally buying you a walker and tennis balls. I got locked in the studio today, like not jokingly. Like we, we joke about it sometimes, but it's Elliot a goddamn called digital me, doorknob. And he's looking at me and he's like, Why do you have a doorknob in your hand? And I was like, Don't worry about it. Shit, I didn't renew my prime subscription. I'm locked in my basement. <laughs> my eye doorknob uh, is fucking broken. Uh, it's it's a wonderful time to be alive. Twenty twenty three is going fucking swimmingly. Speaking of swimmingly. <laughs> what do you mean I didn't renew the Apple Pay? Let me out of here. <laughs> Don't get a smart doorknob. Anyone that's listening to this, do not get a smart doorknob. So these these colonies with low infestation had the drone comb on the exterior of the hive removed when uh, full of brood, which we talked about a bit in the last episode when we were talking about drones. So they studied this. Uh, the results showed that the application of the drone brood cells as a control method improved overall hive health and interestingly did not negatively affect colony development. Removing the drone brood cells had a 43% success rate as traps against Varroa versus hives that were completely untreated. Okay, so it sounds like they slowed the Varroa down uh, a little bit, but it didn't stop it completely or eradicate it. But I think maybe that's uh, a reasonable way to help bees kind of adjust to their new normal. Wow, I'm still sick of hearing it. But, you know, the last I checked, (laughs) I'm not a beekeeper. Do you regularly go and... Like, check you're not a beekeeper? Like, the the net hat hasn't appeared? You want me to just wear the hat? It could be I fun. I think so. Just wear it. Yeah, I don't have any bees, but yeah, I'll get one, sure. I mean, you could wear your motorcycle hat to go do the bees. Helmet. It's not a hat. It's a helmet, Andy. Come on. You're better than this. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> this is who you are. <laughs> oh, God. This is... What is wrong with us tonight? It's the drugs. It's a wild night. <laughs> it, it's... Is there a moon out? Like, what the fuck is happening? Point is, I think this points to the fact that there's like a path forward that doesn't involve like losing 75% of our bee stock in a year. And that's like probably a good thing. Again, depending on who you ask. That said, uh, it won't solve the Varroa problem without losses. Like that's going to happen. And we also have to fundamentally rethink about like our migratory beekeeping pattern of moving bees around the entire country. The point I think that the researcher was trying to get at was how do we reduce mite load during honey harvesting periods where the chemical options are pretty limited if you've already got Varroa? Wait, they use chemicals even when they're harvesting the honey? Oh, yeah. this is, Come on, Matt. This is America. Of course we do. We don't use as many, though. And that's the part that matters. That's, well, I don't know. It seems a little fucked up. I guess, but what food isn't treated with at this point? I mean... Right. So anyways, I want to go back to the Swedish experiment because the research pointed out some specific details that are kind of uh, interesting, we'll say. So, for example, despite the fact the bees learned to live with Varroa or at least keep them in check, some other things began to spring up. While we haven't talked about other diseases and parasites in the show, there are a lot of them out there, unsurprisingly. And before Varroa was the thing everyone worried about, there were others that were considered to be equally catastrophic, but kind of like in the same way, like... The first wave of like a typhoon seems catastrophic, and then the bigger one—it's right. It's like the second one that's the big one with the with the like tidal wave. I'll take your word for it. I'm probably making this up. Anyway, so they used to think things were bad until Varroa showed up and like put everything in its place and in context, right? So two popular uh, bacteria and viruses stood out: Sacbrood virus and Bartonella apis. Yeah, Sacbrood virus sounds like a dad that. Acknowledges that he has kids, he just doesn't love them. 
Yeah. Kid, no, those are my Sank Brood. They have names, I think, I don't know, they're all terrible. Yeah, it, you know, it does, now that you say that, like, <laughs> the internet should be grabbing onto that, right? Like, it sounds like something you'd say, Andy, when your kids are being bad. <laughs> like, like instead of I gotta uh, go deal with goblins, my sack the brood. Sack I gotta brood. go deal with my Sack Brood, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, Bombella Apis was also strongly associated with early and late season, though equally for all colonies in this study. Now, all three of those issues affect colony protein management and metabolism. Those bacteria that I just brought up, those three uh, viruses, bacteria, come from inside the bee gut, which I think is really interesting. Now, research hasn't quite figured out what to make of this discovery, and at this point, it doesn't seem to be causing any uniquely dangerous issues, but it's definitely something that's worth being aware of. Okay, so this sounds like one of them devil you know versus devil you don't situation. So I don't think it's that bad. It's obviously possible in my completely unscientific and uneducated in bee science brain. But the fact that we're starting to see this is, uh, see in this case, is uh, maybe a non-Varroa natural selection and self-regulation of the hive taking place. And I think if we, uh, if we get Varroa in check, or rather when we accept the, the reality of the current situation and recognize that the treatment method isn't sustainable as it's being applied today, we'll start to see a lot of these things spring up as bees try to reach like a, I guess you could call it like a healthy equilibrium. Yeah, I think that's like the natural way of things. Everything kind of tries to claim its space and it works itself out. Yeah, as long as we don't get hands on and fuck it up too much. Yeah, and uh, despite that, we are trying real hard to uh, to fuck that up. Now, the last thing I do want to bring up is that some researchers are trying to hack into the bee genetic code to solve the problem. I'm just imagining like a 90s hacker in like sunglasses and a duster, like hooked up to the like genome. Oakley's. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm in, but that's not entirely shocking. Elliot, do I look shocked to you? No, you look stoned. I'm giving you my shocked face. You can't tell. No, nope. Uh, I shouldn't have gotten the Botox. Yeah, there's just bee stings. It was not Botox. We just put some bees in a can, <laughs> well, stuck them on your face. You want to, you need to make your, basically when you're in, you need to stretch your Botox dime and you can do that with bees, I think. It's just take a can, you shake them up, you scream bees, and when someone looks surprised, you shove it in their face. That's, I swear, if we end up in court for that, for that one, that. No, I I want to delete this That's recording. That's what you want to go down for? I'm yeah, okay I don't. I don't want to go down for running a, you know, terrible... Legal botox, yeah, you mean? God damn it. Can I log it? I just pictured, just pictured Andy in a corp, courtroom in the striped prisoner uniform, but the lines are yellow. Terrible the yellow, puns. The yellow oh instead of white. Oh my God, with the yellow. <laughs> He's like gotten a hold of a highlighter. <laughs> He, he, uh, he did yeah. that to his own clothes, Your Honor. <laughs> we did not instruct him to do that, Your Honor. He's not insulting you in this. He just wants to be a bee. He saw how it worked. He's just he passionate. Saw I don't know what to yeah. tell you, Your Honor. He saw how being a bee worked for Jerry Seinfeld, and he wants God to give that to himself. He wants a little slice of the pie. He wants a little slice of the sign. Oh, God. I saw the sign. It was Jerry Seinfeld. Back, back in the cage, boys. Back in the cage. Yeah, so we were talking about bee, bee genetics, right? Or bee breeding, right? I think. 
So uh, what they're trying to do with their uh, bee uh, hacking of the genome is called RNA interference. Yeah, and I hate that so much more than whatever we were talking about before with the chemicals. You might, and you should, or shouldn't. I don't know. I'm not the person to ask. You know, I'm like a caveman. Like, why would you let me talk about these things? So basically, an enzyme, uh, RNA polymerase exists, I guess, and it transcribes the DNA's information onto RNA, and it stimulates genes to turn on or express themselves, usually by producing certain proteins. If the message is not delivered, the gene doesn't turn on. So the summary here is that the process for whatever you want to turn on can be kept from turning on, right? Now, what they want to do is use this DNA genetic information to, or this ability to turn things off and silence certain genetic traits. Wait, is this before or after the theme park opens? Yeah, Jurassic Hive, right? You show up and you work 18 hours a day, and you might get a chance to have an extremely one-sided flying orgy if your genes are right. I love it. Low-rise genes are back. So anyways, where this applies to honeybees is around the viruses transmitted. So viruses produce their own messenger RNA, which hijacks the host cell mechanics to replicate the virus instead of the original organism or host. If this can be interfered with with this technology, the viral RNA no longer can do its job, which is why the idea of like silencing the genetics is really important. Because the genome of viruses is shorter and less complicated than other organisms, it becomes relatively easier to get their DNA sequenced. The company behind this particular project is called, and I swear to God I didn't name it, B-Logics, and they started by working on Israeli acute virus paralysis. Is that new speak for what the Israeli army does? Oh, yeah. And you thought I was going to get us in prison, Matt. I'll go down for it. You know what? <laughs> Feds are listening now, taking notes. Everything's good. They they know. They they heard you. Yeah, and I'll take every listener we can get, so fuck it. <laughs> True. <laughs> Shout out to my boys at Langley. <laughs> <laughs> First, the Guantanamo jo- joke. I mean, like, I feel like we're actually, we are playing shoots and ladders with all of the things that can get us in trouble, I think. Yeah, and I was, no. just, joking, I was just joking about those <laughs> missiles. Wink, wink. Were we recording when we were talking about shoots and ladders? Yeah. Yes. In the wall? Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember anymore. Definitely still high. Yeah. Anyway, so this research that these guys were doing on like hacking the bee genetics so that viruses can't get transmitted, this was back in 2007. And basically, the world was their oyster. They were they were the Elon Musk of the bee world. Elon Musk, you might say. No, nope. I just want to throw <laughs> no, something. I want to throw something so solid and dense in his fucking head, dude. This is why we didn't record in person. Is that <laughs> threat uh, of yes. physical violence? So. <laughs> Oh my God, what's I happening? myself with that one. So since 2007, when they thought everything was wonderful, uh, they were bought out by Monsanto, who was then bought out by Bayer, and then Bayer sold it off to Greenlight Biosciences, where the same technology is being applied to find, and I'll quote them for it, holes in the armor of Varroa by attacking their ability to reproduce, end quote. Yeah, listen, I love my tech and my sci-fi shit on the big screen and in my little books that I read, but I don't know. I feel like something could go wrong here, and I just don't know if that's just regular paranoia or I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I I hate Varroa, but this seems like a really long-winded way of like having like 
a rope. I don't know. I, I don't know anything about this stuff, but it just gives me big, like, Terminator energy. Yeah, well, I guess we're just going to... I don't know. I can't wait to hear a TV scientist say, we found a missing component in dino, dino DNA, and that's how, you know, that's how it ends with the Varroas. They're just going to do that. Dino DNA. Dino DNA. <laughs> you got it. You're, that's a good impression. Wow, just rub it in, the impressions. <clears throat> hey, that's how it's done, Andy. April is the cruelest month. Still didn't get it. Better? No. No. God damn it. You got to sound like you had laudanum in your tea. I can't. I'm not that good of an actor. By that, I mean I'm a terrible actor. Wow, guys, don't yeah. say no, Andy. You're great at this. <laughs> no, don't Andy, know what you're yeah, talking about. No, I love the puns. It's the truest thing you've said all episode, dude. Uh, you love them. I'm phenomenal. Guys, I my ego, I need it. <laughs> Anyways, I think we're done here. If this seemed like a disaster, go listen to the previous episodes. Maybe it'll make more sense. Oh my God, we've been in the studio for three hours. <laughs> this episode is absolutely insane. Also, I just realized, and I thought this episode was coming out after drones because we already recorded drones, but it is not. So I kept referring to the drones episode as like, check out the previous episode. But we're going to talk about that next week, even though we already recorded it. Yeah, that's not confusing so- at all. No, I'm sorry, everyone. They'll figure I it out. Not be, we yeah, have smart listeners. We are in a bad place right now, and I don't know what's wrong with us. Elliot, what's wrong with us? We got the holiday hangover. It's a Wednesday night. That's what we'll blame it on. Yeah, it's a Wednesday night. The world is our oyster. We have not been bought out by Monsanto yet to be sold to Bayer yet. Oh, my God. Yet. Yeah. All is, right, we're done is any, that, is any of that going to make me rich? It might. I literally just want to make a few phone calls when I have enough money. I'm just going to rub it in some people's faces. And then, yes. By Raytheon? Yep. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Raytheon. And by Larry's. Larry's Raytheon. <laughs> Larry's, call me. Ready for that sponsorship. Please. The merger company. Oh, God. Oh, God.